Good afternoon and welcome to Startup Nation, our weekly podcast that celebrates innovation and entrepreneurship. Startup Nation is brought to you by Dublin Business Innovation Centre, where ambitious founders get support to start and scale new businesses. I'm Connor Carmody. I hope you'll stay with me over the next hour as we explore emerging trends in the world of technology and business. And today I want to talk about automation. It seems to me that work, the nature of work, and indeed the process of work, is undergoing its biggest period of transformation in decades. The coming together of digitally native employees, advances in in kind of new, smarter, intelligent technologies, and a greater focus on work-life balance have combined to disrupt the status quo. And up until now, much of the conversation has focused on where we work, and particularly over the last 18 months. But I believe the debate is about to evolve and will focus now on how we work and what businesses need to do to adapt to this new way of working. And underpinning this change is Industry 4.0. So what does this mean? Well, it describes a continued trend towards automation and data exchange in manufacturing technologies, processes. Um, It includes such capabilities as cognitive computing and artificial intelligence. And really what it means is that businesses must become much more agile and find new and innovative ways to do more for less. Process automation is the fastest growing sector of the global software market. And I read that almost half of the average working day is consumed by manual tasks. So therefore, it would seem that the benefits of process automation initiatives speak for themselves. On the other hand, as consumers or as business people, we often view new initiatives with some trepidation. And particularly when we hear words like the robots are coming in and we're rewriting job descriptions and overhauling entire business models. And while that anxiety is understandable, it will be overcome and there are entrepreneurs building scalable companies to address this. And so today I have three companies joining me who are developing new tools and processes to shape the future of business. We'll be joined by Rory O'Doherty of Olus on using AI to redesign the agency staffing process. Tim Crow of Worksflow will tell us about his belief that people, process and technology working together are at least twice as effective at reducing cost and improving operational efficiency as people or technology on their own. And finally, we will hear from Deria Souza from Kianda about their cloud-based automation platform that allows users with or without coding skills to digitize and streamline their business processes. And interestingly, both Tim and Deria have both recently announced significant funding rounds, so our timing is perfect and we're looking forward to hearing from them. So to get us started, I'm delighted to be joined by Rory O'Doherty. He's the founder and CEO of Olus, uh, an early stage startup. Uh, Rory, welcome and thanks for joining us today. Brilliant. Well, look, thanks for having me, Connor. I really appreciate the invite. We are going to talk about automation. Uh, It's the topic for today's show. Uh, But before I do that, I do have to ask you uh, a couple of questions and they're around elephants and mud bats. Tell me just a little bit about your time in Thailand. Yeah, so my time in Thailand... So I, I did a stint in, in New York with Enterprise Ireland. And after that, I decided to, to go and find myself in Thailand and travel up and down the country with, with as you pointed out, the elephants, taking care of the elephants up in northern uh, Thailand. I went and bought a motorbike in Vietnam and drove Vietnam for a month Um, learned how to, how to change a tire on the side of, of a highway in Vietnam. You know, th- these kind of life experiences that uh, hopefully you'll stand to me. Your LinkedIn page has, a, for in case anyone wonders what I'm referencing, Rory has a, a couple of life lessons and things like don't ride elephants, their spines aren't designed for it. They prefer a good mud bath and uh, 
motorbike repair is actually pretty simple once you've done it a whole bunch of times, which there's some lovely startup lessons in there. Actually, you just keep on breaking stuff and fixing it and, and moving on. Um, so brilliant. Thank you for that. It's a, it's a great start to our show. Rory, we're talking about automation and the automation of business processes. Maybe you might start off and tell us a little bit about Olus. What are you trying to what are you trying to do there? Yeah, brilliant. Um so look, Olus is a is a tech startup. We're we're serving the, the kind of the five hundred billion dollar uh staffing industry. And I think actually before I explain what exactly we're doing, it, it probably helps to explain what the what the staffing industry is for a second. Um so the staffing industry at a high level, there's kind of two types of these, these agencies, the recruitment agencies. They're the ones that find help people find permanent roles, and they're ones that people might be very familiar with. And then there's the other type that help uh, place people into temporary or contract roles, which can range from light industrial, hospitality, retail type roles to uh, qualified professions, so lawyers, doctors, accountants, and, and so on. And we're serving that, that second type of agency. The ones that that place people into temporary assignments, um, specifically when they place someone into an assignment like that, the individual who's going to work becomes an employee of this this agency. So any contract or HR related question that they might have while they're on that job um, legally needs to be directed back to the agency. So the tech that we've developed. Um, integrates with that staffing agency's core systems, their, their backend systems, so their applicant tracking system, their, their uh, CRM, payroll, timesheet. And we do that in order to provide the user, the, the temporary worker who's actually out in the field, um, with access to their own information, with an answer to any question that they might have around HR, around their contract, that is specific to them, that is accurate, that is data compliant, and uh, seamless. But what's what's the problem that you're... So I understand the solution, but I guess what's the problem that you're trying to solve? Is it that, like, what's broken today? So what's broken today is you're a worker with this agency and you're, you're, you're out doing your job. Generally speaking, you're not going to be asking any question around your contract or around your pay or around your timesheet until you're off the clock. And then then you ask it, and the people who are answering, which is the, the back office team and the agency, are also off the clock. So it's, a, it's at least a couple of hours, if not a couple of days. And a lot of times when we were doing our initial research, th- these questions were falling through the crack. So, you know, they essentially weren't getting responded to. So, I, you know, in, in, so I understand then I'm, I'm working in one of these uh, big companies, but I'm employed by the agency. I'm, I'm betwixt in between in terms of getting somebody to answer my questions. And that's kind of the problem. What's the magic that you have in the technology piece? Because we're all about automation today. What's the magic in there that's that's helping solve this? Yeah, so there's two parts to the magic. And, and uh, so I spend a lot of time working in the kind of HR talent acquisition space around AI. Um, and I kind of raise my eyebrows when I say AI because it's, it's just, it's clever connections, right? It, it's essentially what it boils down to. Um, we have two pieces, two pieces of the magic. So you have NLP on the front end and clever wiring. You know, you can, you can call it AI, but it's really clever wiring on the, on the back end. Explain NLP to me. Yeah, so natural language processing. Um, essentially, it allows the user, the, the contractor, the, the temp, um, to ask an open-ended question 
and we can understand the intent of that question. So, you know, the, the, the simple analogy is you go into a, a restaurant and maybe not a restaurant, into a deli and you get someone to, to make up your sandwich are without NLP, you choose off the menu. So, so that, that, that's how we're using NLP at the front end. And it just means that there's more flexibility, more choice in how they can ask these questions, what they can ask. Um, and then where kind of a real innovation comes, because that, that technology is fairly commonplace these days. The real innovation comes in that we, we use two-factor auth authentication to understand who it is who's actually asking the question. So if it's you, Connor, or if it's someone else, um, and then we can pull that individual's specific information from their from their systems. So these systems in the back end, none of them talk to each other, none of them are connected. And really what happens um, what happens right now, you know, to, to go back to the example of the individual who who emails in their question, what happens is that goes to a back office worker who literally does the thing that we're going to do. They go into the same system, look up the same record, pull the same piece of information, whatever the pay, payroll is, whatever whether the timesheets are in properly, whatever it might be, sticks it in an email and sends it back to the individual. So for me, for me as the temp working in the, in the large organization, we'll call it, I submit a response to you. The smarts in the background answer it fairly much straight away, one would imagine, as you get up, up and running. And so it reduces that kind of time to answer from hours or days down to pretty much instantaneous, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Seamless, efficient. You know, these are all the, the buzzwords that we're using. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's exactly that. And it's about, it's about the change in, in work expectations. So our lives with technology have become so much easier. And we're so used to Facebook, Google, all these different companies providing us a really positive consumer experience. And then you go to work and you work for an agency who maybe hasn't invested in their tech as much. And it's like nearly going back in time where you have to manually fill out timesheets or you have to, you know, email in and wait for a response from a person who's gone on holidays for a week. Um, th- that's the kind of, that's where we're going. We're trying to help these, these agencies just become a bit more efficient, provide a better experience. And especially, you know, there's this great resignation that's going on. Yes. Um, especially in this environment, competing for that, that specialized contract talent is really hard. So you want to be giving them a, a really good experience. And for the agency, they're essentially uh, unpaid salespeople for your agency, right? If they're saying you're doing a good job, if they're happy with you, there's more business coming your way. If they're in your client bad-mouthing you, you know, that's, nobody wants that. No, so look, I think you're bang on trend in terms of that back office automation, that that kind of process re-engineering and using technology to make it slicker. So I think you're, you're bang on trend. Where are you at? Because it's not easy to build a platform like that. It takes time and money and effort. Where are you in the development of your journey? Um, you're, you're right. It's not easy and it takes, it takes a lot of effort. Um, we are, so we're, we're relatively early stage. Um, we incorporated in, in April of this year. We have, you know, we've, we've landed on a real problem. We've verified that that problem exists. We've verified that people are willing to pay us. Agencies are willing to pay us for that problem to be solved. Sorry, not to get the problem. So we have a handful of clients in Ireland, in Europe, and in the US. We have 
seven seven people working on the team, and we're looking to to raise our our initial seed seed fund our seed round. So um, we're hoping to raise uh, five hundred thousand euro. So uh, split between private investors who we're, we're going out to at the moment and uh, Enterprise Ireland's HBSU fund is the is the goal. So if any of your if any of your listeners Connor, are, are are interested, it's Rory at Olis.io. We'd love to hear from you. Shameless plug. Yeah, you gotta do it. You gotta do it. Is right. Listen, it sounds brilliant. Can I ask you one last question before I leave you go? Uh, what will success look like for you over the next couple of years? So success is is uh, it's really a US centric market that we're we're playing in here. Uh, the U.S. is the most advanced in this form of of labor. It's the most mature, um, and it's where you know I spent the last five years. It's where I have my my understanding of the market. Success looks like operations in the U.S. Um, five million plus in revenue, really becoming the the uh, go to players in the back end HR for for staffing agency automation. Rory, thanks so much for coming on and uh, sharing your story with us this morning. Uh, really appreciate it. Best of luck as you develop the business in the months ahead. Brilliant. Thanks a for having me, Connor. Thanks indeed. That was Rory O'Doherty, founder and CEO of Olas. Moving along, we're joined by Tim Crow of Workflow. And this Limerick-based tech firm is about to close a 1.2 million funding round, probably has closed by now, and plans to increase its headcount from 10 to 50 within three years. Tim, fantastic. You're very welcome. Uh, Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Connor. Great to be here and thanks for inviting me. Not at all. Great to have you on. And uh, you and I met a couple of years back on... uh, on a program we were running in with Enterprise Ireland Sprint. So um, it's probably been a couple of years since we've chatted. Maybe just to get us started, uh, tell us a little bit about you um, and kind of your background, because you come from traditionally or historically, you come from that kind of big corporate background. Yeah, so my background, Connor, is uh, I, I'm actually, a, I'm an engineering master's graduate from the University of Limerick uh, too many years back uh, at this stage to such a long time ago. But I spent most of my career working at Dell so I was based in Limerick, and I designed and implemented manufacturing processes for Dell across Europe, Asia, North and South America. So that was fantastic, and I was in my 20s and got to travel around the world doing this, so it was really great. Uh, I, I also managed the, further on in my career, I managed the global engineering and continuous improvement teams in Dell. So before I left in 2014, I set up Dell Supply Chain in Chengdu, China, lived there and ran that for a period of time. Following my time in Dell, then I spent four years as engineering director for Activo. They're a a well-known Irish engineering services company. And then about three years ago, then I took the big step in co-founding Workflow. And we enable business to achieve greater levels of process efficiency through Lean Industry 4.0. So we're based at the Nexus Innovation Center in the University of Limerick. We have 10 people there. And uh, it's a fantastic location. And in fact, all our hires to date are graduates from the university. You're a Limerick man originally yourself, or a Clare man? Uh, no, Limerick, Limerick from uh, from Dune and County Limerick, so not too far from the from the city. My question, I suppose, then is is you've you've obviously been hugely successful in the corporate world. What prompts somebody like you to suddenly say, "Enough of that! I'm going off to start a business, and I'm going to come with all the uncertainty that goes with it." Yeah, it, it, it was. Uh, probably the biggest decision I've ever made, but 
But when I look back a bit on my background, so when I was back in Dell, I spent most of my time there working in engineering for so many years. And, and there came a time after doing years and years of variations of the same role, but pretty much the same role in engineering, I felt that I needed to step out of my comfort zone. I was finding going around setting up factories and running them not that difficult to do because I'd done, done so many of them. So my first big step out of my comfort zone then was I, I, I moved my family to China and we set up a supply chain there for Dell. So if that's not stepping out of comfort <laughs> zone, I think nothing anything is. But What was that like? Did you, did you pick up the language? Did you integrate? How did that go? Uh, my kids picked up the language better than I did. I used right. to, I mean, uh, I used to go around with Google Translator and, and that saved me <laughs> <laughs> big time. But uh, yeah, my kids went to school there and, and, and they really liked it and, and, and loved, the, loved the experience. But that was one of the best moves I ever made. And then when I came back to Ireland, then I had the option of going back into a role that I had with Dell, but didn't really want to do that. So an opportunity came up in Activault. So I decided to take another leap, leap of faith and I, and I spent four years there. And after that four years, then the setting up a workflow was my, my biggest decision. Uh, I was moving from corporate to the entrepreneurship world, which are very, very different. But the reason I did it is I saw an opportunity in the market to solve problems using technology. And, and technology I wish I had when I ran Global Factories, but it wasn't available to me. So I took a big risk. And, and if I hadn't done it, I'd always be left wondering, what if or should I have done it? And how would it have worked out? But then I thought to myself, well, why not go for it? Because if worse comes to worse, I just go back and get a proper job. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so uh, a proper job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so a few, year, a few years later, I'm still here. And I couldn't see myself going back to the corporate world full time now. I really, I really like what uh, the the uh, what I'm doing. It, it hasn't been easy. Startups are not easy at the beginning. There's lots of ups and downs, but here I am now providing solutions back to the industries I came from. That's what motivates me: fixing customer problems, giving them solutions, and every time looking at how we exceed their expectations. So. It was a big step, but I've no regrets. Actually, yeah, you had a niche and it just had to be scratched and you had to kind of get on with it. Exactly. You mentioned there, uh, and you can tell us about Worksflow. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, yeah. And I was reading there, Tim and Ken set up their company in 2019 after deciding to build the type of technology that we wished we had when we were running global manufacturing facilities. So what is it that Worksflow does? Yeah, so when I was driving improvement programs uh, for many years and, and running operations and supply chains and setting them up, etc., we had significant focus on improving cost, quality, and delivery. And we use lean tools and methodology to make these improvements. And that worked really well for us. We had all sorts of improvement projects underway in all, in all our facilities. But to drive real improvement, you need data, and data is so important. So we had lots of data, but we always got our hands on it that little bit too late. Uh, usually after the problem had occurred or the following day, say, on an operations report. So the more real-time the data is, the better the, the decisions and improvements that you can make. And also in most operations, the data comes from many sources. And it's always difficult to connect these data sources quickly enough to get better insights. So with advances in technology in Industry 4.0 over the last few years, we built a platform to do that. So we work with our customers to help them to put structure around the problem they're trying to solve. We identify key performance indicators. We reach into all the data sources, everywhere from customer order to customer delivery, and extract the data we need 
to solve the customer problems. We then present this back to the client in real time in a way where they can see how they're performing and we use machine learning to predict problems before they happen. So a key, uh, a key part of our platform is like, you can have lots of actionable data, but it's of little value if it isn't actioned. So if there's a problem in a process, we automatically send the issue to the person that needs to fix it through our platform. So when there's accountability, there's much better probability of delivering results. And delivering results is important too, and that's why we set up our business. So if you give, give me an example, Tim, just so I can bring it to life a little bit. Uh, what sort of an what sort of a a problem might there be in a big Dell or in a in a manufacturing line where you step in and help that to work? Bring it to life for me. Yeah. So uh, so an example could be equipment performance. So you might have um, so in my in the past and and from from visiting clients, equipment is always a challenge, and and downtime is always one of the top uh, region uh, top, top cost issues. So what we would do in that case, for example, we would uh, we would connect into the machine and bring out the information related to the performance of that machine. So that could be a real modern high-tech machine used in med-tech, say, for grinding knee, uh, replacement knees or that type. Or, or it could be a real old machine that's 30, 40 years old. So in the real modern machines, we would connect into the controllers, we would bring out the information, and we would be able to tell the client when the machine was running when it wasn't running, if it's not running, why it isn't, uh, what's the reason it's not, uh, what product is it producing, is it work, is it is it performing to its design spec, and then we can we can we look then at the problems say that that machine might be causing, and it could be bearing failures or uh, and so on. So we would we would pick we would attach sensors, or we would pick up on the sensors on the machine. So we bring all that performance data out. We can predict when it's going to fail. We can tell you how it's performing right now. And that then gives the client information to drive improvement. So so this might be this might be a multi-million dollar machine sitting in, in a factory and a whole production line is based off this. And before you come along or before Workflow comes along, that machine could go offline for a day, a couple of hours or whatever at huge cost. And what you're saying is that by analyzing the data, both predictive and historical, you're in effect, giving eyes on that machine 24 hours a day. Correct, correct. And and another uh, general problem we would solve is like we go into clients, there's all of these systems with lots of independent data sources and and the clients are, are have a lot of difficulty in really seeing what's going on in the process. So we bring all of these data sources together. We then, uh, and because we can bring them together, we can give, we can interpret the data and we can show the client uh, where the problems are end to end in the process, and we can point them where the solutions are, and uh, we we give visibility that they they wouldn't have had before. So, and just so I'm clear, and again, because I'm what I'm trying to understand is is, and I'll come back to this industry 4.0. But but in your case, presumably you, this is not a manual intervention. You have built a platform that the client has uh, for themselves, and they're watching this. You've just provided them with the technology and the process and the platform, but they're actually the ones doing the. The monitoring of the machines, or are you? Is it a service you're providing as well as a, a platform? Yeah. So our 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 platform is built on the cloud. So we sit that platform over all their applications, and the client then has say a, a web secure web interface to that. So we have a lots of experience in operations. So we work with the client. We'll interpret the what's going on in the process, and they can see it live. And then 
but a, a key thing is that uh, once we establish that, we can then get into predicting failures before they happen. And we can say, for example, it could be we know that um, you're not going to hit your target for the day, for example, or there's a problem that's going to stop you from hitting your target. We can send to our platform an action to the operations manager saying, here's where you are, here's, here's, here's what's happening, you're not going to hit your target, you need to do something. So not alone are they watching it, but you're also watching it. And you're, you're, if, if you think that they're not intervening to, to kind of address an issue, you'll prompt them to do that. Our platform will do that. And as we build up uh, more and more data, as say when we implement a project and we get more historical data, we can look at trends and, and correlation of data to, to, to look at. at uh, it gives better insights. So the, the, more, the longer you use our platform, the more information you start getting. It's learning as it goes and it's kind of all of that. Can I, can I ask you, Tim, then, so that sounds very logical to me and, and it's wrapped up in this Industry 4.0 that we were talking about at the start of the, the, the show. But is Industry 4.0, is it just a, a kind of a broad or a fancy term for actually using data very cleverly to understand what's going on in your business? Is that, is that at, at its simplest? It is, yeah, it is. I mean, uh, it is. Industry 4 refers to a, it's like it's a new phase of the industrial level revolution and that started off with like steam engines and so on. That's industry one. And it went from two to three and three was computers and robots. And now industry four uh, f- focuses heavily on internet interconnectivity, automation, machine learning, real-time data, sometimes referred to as IOT or smart manufacturing. So essentially it marries physical production and operations with smart digital technology, machine learning, and big data to create a more holistic and better connected ecosystem for companies that focus on manufacturing and supply chain management. So while every company and organization uh, operating today is different, they all face a common challenge, the need for connectedness, access to real-time insights across their processes, across the partner network, products and people, et cetera. So, so that's, it's, it's industry four is, is, is creating the connections. And I think over the past uh, 10 years, we've seen, more changes in, in this whole space uh, related to manufacturing than we've ever seen in the history of of, of manufacturing. And is Industry 4, is it, does it refer just to manufacturing or does it talk beyond the manufacturing sector? That's a good question. In fact, uh, it's beyond the manufacturing sector. I mean, we it's in every aspect of life, anywhere you're, you've uh, connected devices. So it can be in manufacturing, it can be, you know, in, in uh, retail uh, services, uh, all of this technology is 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 available in in different ways and and uh, like we focus really on on business operations or manufacturing. Uh, when you're setting up a company, you can't, as you well know, you can't be all things to everybody. So you have to find your niche. So so, but it is relevant across every aspect of life. So going back then to to workflow, and I want to kind of ask you a little bit about the journey um, and we mentioned that we'll talk about your fundraising in a minute but I guess you started this around 2019 2000 uh, or back around then talk to me about the last kind of two years in developing it uh, starting to get customers what that what's the journey been like yeah it's been um, it's been uh, certainly a challenge but uh, but been great at the same time Um, we originally started out by selling at the very beginning we were selling third-party software solutions and but they weren't exactly what we wanted and, and, and not, not, not the right fit for customers who were working with. So we quickly started to develop our own software in-house. We knew exactly what we wanted because of our background. And, uh, and we had a few customers willing to support us. So we have, having worked in Dell, I have a, 
a large network of people that, uh, I mean, we had a couple of thousand people in Limerick at one point, and, and now a lot of those people are working across different industries around Ireland, around the world. So we're a software as a service provider, and we license our platform to customers to use for their operations. So we work across pharma, medtech, and manufacturing companies. Uh, we're all about gaining improvements in your supply chain. So whether you're making medicines or building electronic goods, you need to convert raw material to a finished product. So we use the same platform to do that, that across different sectors. So our, our customers are, are local SMEs and large multinationals, and we have installations in Europe, China, and South America. And uh, given our, our Dell experience, we're, we're very adaptive working globally. It's not a problem for us. We go anywhere quite easily. And, uh, and then the pandemic has certainly changed how we do things. It's, it's, uh, it's driven us and, and many companies to do things differently. For example, in the past, we have had to travel to each site we were working on, but, um, but not anymore in the past year. We did, we've, we've done two projects in China, two in Brazil, all from our office in Limerick with no travel. And did, and did it impact on you, the, the uh, COVID? Because, you know, you, you had to learn to work a different way. I guess you're used to jumping on a plane, going to the factory, you know, doing the sale, doing the installation, I guess, and all of that. And then you, can't, you haven't been able to do that for the last two years. Was that a difficult time? It was. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't. A, I mean, we, I suppose... The problem, the challenge we had back at the beginning is we, of, of the COVID pandemic, I mean, it hit us actually before it hit, it hit most companies in Ireland, but uh, we, we had two projects ready to start in China back last February and they got stopped. And, um, and then all our work stopped last March because companies were focused on just keeping their own operations going. So projects, projects got put on hold and, and uh, we were there. What are we going to do? This is uh this is, it was a really tough time, but, but, Key focus for me was let's try and keep the team together. Let's win some new projects and 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 get the ones that we were working on started back up. So I suppose yeah, it was a big change for us. I mean, we we got a a, a new project during the pandemic last year from a, from a large fintech company, and and uh, they needed us to connect into their their contract manufacturer in in Hong Kong, and and we showed them that we could do it. But then they said, well. Okay, this is going to be a problem now because nobody can fly there. So what are we going to do? And I said, that's our problem. I just made a phone call because I lived in China. I had a guy on the ground in 24 hours. So previously, we, we would have traveled out there. So this guy went on site. We went through the requirements for a few days. We came back, built our proposal, or ordered some of the kit, and then, and then delivered it to China. This guy went back in and in a couple of days installed it. So there's new, there's new ways of working that companies are, are starting to explore, and you're no different. Yeah, they're, 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 so there's so we've done a couple of projects since that we would have travelled to, but we haven't. And what we do and what we have to do differently is we have to build a relationship with the engineering and operations teams on the sites. So that's something that uh, we would have done face to face before. But so the very first thing we do in any of these projects now is have have a couple of calls with the local teams and start to build our trust and get to know them. And once you do that, then we get them in the factories to to do the work for us. And we have generally that works really well for us because we're working with engineers, we're bringing in new solutions and engineers love new things. So in these factories, we get a lot of support. Uh, if we need to, uh, we can make calls. Like in Brazil, we, we have uh, from our contacts in the past, we, we can call someone into a factory there if we needed to. So, um, so yeah, it, it's worked well for us. The, the the having to change the way we do things, I think it'll make our business more efficient and more effective in the future.
yeah, you have this notion of a distributed workforce. Um, can I ask you finally about fundraising? Am I correct in saying I was reading some uh, thing in the paper recently about you, uh, a 1.2 million seed round. Uh, you're just closing, closed, you're in the final steps, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, we're in the final steps. We we uh, should in the next uh, couple of weeks have everything signed off and and have the deal fully closed. I I would I would hope by the end of November. So uh, it's uh, it's been a, a roller coaster uh, from the beginning to to get to this stage. I suppose uh, it's taken us two and a half years from from idea to uh, to get the funding, um, but it's been I suppose. At the beginning of 2019, we implemented our first solutions with clients, and we had we had uh, paying clients earlier on, and and we went very quickly to, to pitching to investors in in uh, 20 in late 2019. But then when when COVID hit, and and I, I put a stop to all of it, I said it's not the right time for investment. We needed to get through this. Uh, we needed to come out the other side better than we went into it. So we came out the beginning of this year in much better shape, a much better company. And then we started pitching to investors again. And what really helped us with investors when they saw what we've been through and our resilience for hanging in there, they could say, here's a team that are not going to give this up. They're going to hang in, keep going. We came out with two or three clients, uh, uh, some SMEs, but we had three large multinationals and all of those clients are installing our solutions on other sites. Investors like to see that we're scaling and growing. So uh, we... Back around March, uh, we, we, we re-engaged with the investors and uh, we've gone through the due diligence and, and, and lots of um, reviews and, and so on over the past couple of months. And we ended up, up then with uh, investment from Dublin Big Ventures, Bloom, uh, a private individual and uh, Enterprise Ireland. So we have uh, four investors and yeah, that, that sets us up really well for 2022. So we... Back earlier this year, we had about five people. We've ten people now, and with this investment, we're going to be hiring more people. We'll have twenty people next year, and we'll be growing from there to fifty in three years. It's a great story, Tim. And actually, there's a lovely lesson in there, which is around the the timing of raising investment. Because, as you say, you came out the other side of the pandemic. You had customers. You'd weathered the storm. You'd figured out how to work. You'd demonstrate attraction and resilience, and and. You know, for investors, that presumably added a huge amount of weight to your pitch, but also probably helped you with your valuation and helped you uh, in all of that. So there's a there's a great story inside in that. Can I ask you finally, um, what's the vision for the future, Tim? What sort of a business? When I invite you back here in three years, what will you be telling us? We are in based in in Ireland. We have projects in our in, in Ireland, in in Denmark, Germany. We we have a presence in in uh, China and Brazil. So our plan is to grow globally so we we want to be leaders in in our field uh, we want to grow continue to grow globally uh, we we have one of our guys went to mumbai last week he's setting up our mumbai office we're going to have in 2022 we're going to be setting up in beijing and chengdu in china usa later next year and really our vision is to be leaders in the industry in fixing customer problems by delivering real time key performance indicators accountability Return on investment to our lean industry 4.0 platform. So, I will be very happy to come back in three years and and, and tell you uh, how uh, how we've succeeded in that vision. But we're very confident. Our investors are confident, and and uh, after after going through a tough 2020, a much better 2021. We've had a really good year. 
uh, we now have the platform we need to deliver that vision. Brilliant. Onwards and upwards. Tim, uh, thanks so much for coming in today to talk to us. I uh, really appreciate your time and the very best of luck with uh, 2022 as you start to scale and grow. That was uh, Tim Crow, CEO and founder of Worksflow. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed hearing how our entrepreneurs are coming up with ideas and how they're setting up businesses, how challenging it can be, but also how rewarding as we heard there from our contributors. I'm sure you'll join me in wishing our guests today every success in their ventures. We hope that the stories you heard today and across our Startup Nation series will inspire you to give it a go. If you have a great idea and are thinking of starting or scaling a company and you would like some support, do get in touch with us at startup at dublinbic.ie. That's it now from Startup Nation.